Uh, Richard, happy Valentine's Day to you. Missed that one out earlier. Uh, great to see that interview with Debbie. We're putting the full interview with her onto our emailer this week, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, and it's great to be in friendship with other churches. Uh, Peter Breckvolt, who's a vicar at uh, St. John's, is a friend of mine, and let us show that uh, video. So I'm grateful to them for sharing that with us. Uh, before I get into Ephesians this morning, I just wanted to say a little bit about communion. Normally, normally, that's a strange word, isn't it? Normally, we would uh, take communion pretty much every Sunday at the end of our service as we really focus in on Jesus and all he's done for us. But of course, that hasn't been the case over these last months. Uh, last July, we had one communion service at 502, uh, where, which maybe 30 of us were at, I think. But uh, for most of us, we haven't done communion together as a church now for nearly a year. And actually, one of the things that I've been encouraged about is an increasing number of people saying to the elders, can we do communion? Can we do communion online. How about doing, in our life groups, doing online communion together? And so we just wanted to respond to that and, and tell you what we're thinking as elders about how we handle this at the moment. We, we, we've been talking it through again the, the past couple of weeks. And, and our feeling at the moment is that we should still hold off from doing communion online and we should wait until we can do communion actually physically together. And there are a number of reasons for that. I'll just highlight a couple of them. One is that we feel that we should still be longing for that day when we can be together more meaningfully and celebrate communion together, and we should still be lamenting the fact that, we're, that we haven't been able to do that for this past year. Um, I really don't want us to get too comfortable with how we're doing church life at the moment. I don't want you to be too comfortable if you're at home on your sofa. We should, we should have a sense of lament at the fact that we're not together as we normally would be, and we should have a sense of longing for when we can be. Um, and it might be actually, now we're having a few more people with us on a Sunday morning, we might break bread together uh, at the end of, of one of these services one Sunday. Uh, I'd encourage you to start coming along if you, if you, once you start to feel more confident. We're gradually increasing our capacity week by week to let a few more people in. Uh, so we anticipate that. Also, it's only six weeks now until the Easter weekend. And so one of my kind of prayers and longings is that maybe at some point over the Easter weekend we'd be able to be together in some way and uh, break bread together. Maybe at that stage, I don't know, maybe we'll be back in, allowed into one another's gardens and perhaps on Good Friday we could have a number of garden meetings where we could break bread together. I don't know. But that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm praying for and, and hoping for. So Easter only six weeks away. It'd be great if we could celebrate the Lord's Supper together in some way at Easter. So... We're longing to be together and we should be lamenting the fact that we're, we can't be or we're so limited in how we do that. And then the second thing which ties in explicitly to what I'm speaking on this morning from Ephesians is to think about the significance of the body, of our physical bodies and the spiritual body that is the church, the people of God. There are, there are things which we can do at the moment and are doing well. There's lots you can do through Zoom. We had a great a prayer meeting, church meeting on Friday with a whole bunch of people. You can do that kind of thing pretty well on Zoom, but there are also things you can't do on Zoom. You can't hug your grandchildren. Uh, you, you, can't have, you can't really read people's body language in the same way. You can't uh, give somebody a cup of tea over Zoom. You just can't. There's stuff you can't do over Zoom, and uh, the Lord's Supper is something which uh, to do over Zoom kind of breaks apart what is meant to most powerfully signify the unity of 
the body. And so, again, in terms of our kind of longing and lamenting, we feel that communion is something which really should happen when people are physically present together, sharing the one cup, the one life, and uh, to kind of scatter that electronically, we think kind of undermines some of the powerful significance of taking the Lord's Supper. So for those, those reasons, we, we just encourage you to hold off, hold back on, on doing it on Zoom, uh, keep desiring it, and yeah, let's, let's trust that by Easter we might in some way be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper again together. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Right, so this morning's message is titled A Bigger Body. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. The purpose of this letter we're looking at over 10 weeks, um, this letter of Ephesians, is the Apostle Paul in prison in Rome, writing to his friends in Ephesus, and we think this letter also shared with other churches in that region, which had been planted as a result of Paul's ministry, and he's looking to encourage them. And the purpose of our series is to encourage us. We are in a really tough season. It's been a, a a bitter winter this past week, literally, but also, of course, metaphorically. And uh, we need to soak ourselves in the truths of the gospel. And the letter to the Ephesians really helps to lift our heads as we think about what Christ has done for us. And we do want to be a healthy people. We want to be a healthy body. We want to grow bigger. And that's not the growing bigger of sitting on the sofa, stuffing yourself on snacks, watching Netflix, but a a spiritually muscular bigness is what we are looking to grow in. So, first thing, as we think about this, is unity in the church. Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing the one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Ephesians chapter 4 is a pivot point in this Letter. So far, the first three chapters have been Paul giving thanks for what God has done, talking about how Christ has reconciled us to God and to one another, talking about the personal and the cosmic implications of that, and describing and praying for us that we would know God's love and experience his power. It's all been so far about what God has done. And we get to Ephesians chapter 4, and for the first time in this letter, we are told to do something. And this is a very different way around from how people often perceive Christianity. The way that human religion always works is do to be, do something in order to be found right with God. The way that true Christianity works is completely the other way around. It's because of what he has done, you are. And then out of that, do stuff. We're to live out what we have become. We're, as Paul puts it here, we're to live worthy of the call that God has given to us. Jesus Christ has removed the dividing wall, the wall of hostility, which existed between us and God and between us as human beings, and we're to work that out in the church. And these verses, especially verses 2 and 3 here, I think are, are verses which, written for our times, uh, humility and gentleness and Patience are 
noticeably absent in so much of contemporary life. Uh, Two or three years ago, I dropped out of social media, not least because of the lack of humility and gentleness and patience that there is in social media. I just found personally that it wasn't doing my soul any good. I know there's all kinds of benefits to social media, uh, but for me personally, I just found it didn't help my soul, the lack of humility, the lack of patience, the, the lack of gentleness. There have been very deep and painful divisions in our society over the past few years. All the stuff we keep talking about, Trump and Brexit and everything else, there's been so much pain, so much division, so much animosity, so much arrogance. Now, by God's grace, things have actually been rather different amongst us here at Gateway Church. Now, there are certainly different opinions amongst us in our congregation. There'll be all kinds of different opinions politically and socially. But actually, we've had wonderfully little division. There have been a few times when people have put some maybe less helpful things up on Facebook, which has caused a little bit of argument. But generally, amongst our congregation, we have had, I think, more humility, gentleness, and patience than we have had arrogance and harshness and, and impatience. And just as we're urged here to be humble, we should actually humbly identify and celebrate what is commendable amongst us. We need to recognize the reality of God's grace amongst us, and we need to recognize and celebrate actually how much the story of uh, the past years, and this past year especially in the pandemic, how much the story amongst us has been one of kindness, of acts of service, of efforts being made to extend generosity towards one another. Our whole theme for this year about adventures in generosity is great to hear the stories about how people are experiencing and practicing generosity. So when I think about Gateway Church, one of the things I think and one of the things I celebrate is the way that God, I think, has helped us, graced us actually to stay united and to display kindness and patience, humility amongst one another. But dig a little bit deeper into what Paul is saying here and Unity, the unity which Paul urges us to, is not only a good thing, but actually is fundamental to understanding what the church is, what the church should be, a united people, a united body. Now, this year here at Gateway, we are focusing especially on physical buildings, on Friday at our prayer meeting, I talked through the building plans we have for this building here at Alder Road. Here's a picture for those of you who weren't there, didn't see it, planning to reshape this existing bit we're in and to build a, a new uh, hall up in, the, up in the car park. So that's a big, big focus for us this year to actually make that happen, to raise the funds to enable it to take place. But in the Bible, church never means building. We often talk about facilities facilitating our mission, but church buildings are facilities. They are not the church. The word which is translated as church now, Bibles, is used twice in the letter to the Ephesians in, in chapter 1, verse 22, and in chapter 3, verse 21. But actually, the whole letter is really about the church. Paul is talking about God's people, the body and the bride of Christ. And when we get into chapter 5, he uses that imagery of the bride of Christ explicitly. 
And there's an emphasis throughout this letter on our oneness, how we have been made one through the work of Christ. We've been brought into peace, into unity with God through what Jesus has done. And because of that, we can be at peace, at unity with one another. The church is meant to be characterized by unity, by oneness, by peace. And we shouldn't fall into the trap of thinking that this is just down to our own efforts. Effort can get you so far, but can't get you far enough. And so Paul here, yes, says, I urge you, I urge you to live this way. I urge you to pursue unity, to pursue peace, to pursue humility and patience and gentleness. I urge you to do this. But this actually is a response to what has been given to us. That's why Paul doesn't urge us to do this until he spent three chapters describing all that Christ has done and has given us. We have been called by Christ. It's the Lord who has initiated things, and we then respond to that. And we celebrate our unity together. If you've been baptized, if you're a Christian, you've been baptized, well, you've done that proclaiming the same faith in the same Lord that all of us who have been baptized have proclaimed. We have only one Lord. There's only one God and Father. And there is an organic unity amongst the people of God. And we're not experiencing that bodily in quite the same way we normally would. But even when we are scattered on a Zoom call or at home watching this this morning, we are connected in Christ. And so Paul says, I urge you to live in this way, this way of unity. And the good news is that we are equipped to do that. So the second thing to see is about the gifts we have in the church. Ephesians 4 verse 7. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why, as it says in Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Each one of us has been given Grace. This means that every individual member of the church has a role to play in building up the body of the church. And this, again, is a gifted response. What we do comes as a response to what Christ has given us. And the fact that we do what we do, the gifts, the grace that are upon us, are given to us, means that we stay humble because it's not earned or ours by right. It's given to us by the grace of God. And it means that we are equipped to do the work that God wants us to do. Jesus Christ came to earth. He descended And now he has ascended, he reigns in heaven, and he's filling all things, and he has given gifts to build up the church. And that work of construction is ongoing. Church buildings can take a long time to build. Here at Gateway, we have been talking for decades about doing something to this building all the road, 
And to get to where we've got to now, with the scheme we now have has taken us four years of hard work. Uh, how about a really long example, the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. Uh, Grace and I love Barcelona. I've been there a few times. We were, we were there nearly five years ago, 2016, March 2016, when Grace and I were running the Barcelona Marathon. Uh, this is a Sagrada Familia, uh, amazing church building. Started... Uh, they started building the Sagrada Familia in 1882, and it's still not finished, and it's got decades left of work. Over a, nearly 140 years they've been working on it. It's, gonna, it's taking centuries to build. Sometimes church buildings can take a very long time to construct, but Christ's building of his church is a work of millennia. And it takes gifted workmen to construct it. Apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. These are people who have a measure of grace, a grace gift that enables them to help build the church. And these are gifts which need to be at work in the church at large and at work in local congregations like ours and We are called to be an apostolic people, a prophetic people, an evangelistic people, a pastored and taught people. And so let's just think about these these five things briefly. Apostolic, to be an apostle means to be sent. It means being caught up in God's mission. And so a church to be apostolic means a church who are caught up in the mission of God to call all nations to the obedience of faith for the glory of God. God. An apostolic church understands itself to be a mission agency to the nations. To be prophetic means that we speak truth. It means that we make known the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And sometimes the prophetic ministry can be uncomfortable if you're doing community Bible reading and are reading Isaiah with us at the moment. You'd have read this past week about when Isaiah walked around naked for three years to demonstrate prophetically the judgment that was coming upon his people. Thank God that's not the call upon any of us. But being prophetic can be uncomfortable. It means speaking truth. And it means at times that we as a church will speak truth to a society which doesn't want to hear it because the truth revealed in Christ clashes with worldly values and assumptions. And to be prophetic means speaking out and not being afraid of that discomfort. To be evangelistic means that we tell others about Jesus. Christ is our message. This is good news. To be pastored means that there is care and leadership shown for the flock, that the church is protected and prepared for the mission to which God has called us. And We need to be taught because we need to understand and apply God's words so that we can get all this stuff right. And so we're looking as a church that we individually grow in these things and we corporately grow in these things. But most members of the church are not apostles or prophets. Everyone's called to evangelize, but very few are gifted evangelists. All can prophesy, but there aren't many prophets And so to be equipped, to be built up in these characteristics, we need these gifts to be at work amongst us. And some of these gifts are more present in our congregation. Some things we have more grace upon us in, and others we need more help from outside 
uh, help to come in and strengthen us. And this means that we look for more than just a denominational connection. We're not just part of a denomination, which is a kind of a structural, functional thing. No, we, we're, we're looking for gifts to come amongst us and strengthen us. And again, that's been so much more difficult practically this last year because we haven't been able to have friends come physically amongst us as we normally would. But we're part of this movement of churches called Advance, and that's our primary place of connection where we would expect friends to come in who are gifted to help equip us and strengthen us. We also have a role in that in how we help and strengthen other churches. I'm uh, myself involved in that quite a lot. This, just this past week, I've been by Zoom sitting in the uh, team meetings of three other churches helping to strengthen and equip them. A friend of mine, a member of the advanced team, has just got back from a Middle Eastern country, I shouldn't really name, where he has been involved in helping to strengthen and equip people who are planting house churches across Iran and Syria. Just an amazing thing, something we can't talk about publicly in detail because it's too dangerous. But we're involved in that kind of apostolic ministry. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for gifts in the church so we might be equipped and strengthened. And then the third thing is maturity in the church. Pick it up at verse 13 again. We need to be equipped until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Maturity is the goal. Now, if you are a cheese lover or a wine lover like me, then maturity is the goal in those things. You want some really mature cheese, and some mature wine is great as well. We can also talk about maturity in a less positive way. We can use it as a euphemism for just getting old, and just getting old doesn't necessarily mean maturity. Uh, we live in a culture which in many ways is incredibly immature. We have a strange focus upon uh, the youth youthfulness in a kind of a negative way, really, as being something to chase after rather than maturity. And so what does maturity look like in the church? Well, I think it means vigor and solidity and reliability. There's a kind of a muscular, a poised notion here that Paul is describing, the whole body working, every ligament joined. If you want a kind of a human representation, the best I could come up with is the boxer Anthony Joshua, who's probably got the the best body of any man in the world, and the dancer, Darcy Bustle, that kind of athletic muscularity and poise, every part of the body doing what it's meant to, every ligament strengthening. That's kind of what a mature church should look like. Darcy Bustle or Anthony Joshua. Which I don't think, it's not a bad goal to attain to, is it? Probably ought to move to the next slide before people get led into temptation. Now, when we talk about the church, there are always two dimensions to that. There's the universal church, all of God's people in all of the world at all times, and the local church, congregations like this. And the church universal is called to grow in maturity through the millennia, and congregations like ours are called to show, demonstrate increasing 
maturity. And that's an ongoing work. Every generation has to grow in maturity. It's a, this work of maturing never stops because there's always another generation coming up. To use the biblical imagery of a vineyard, a mature old vines are more stable than young vines. Their roots are deeper. They can withstand harsher conditions. They don't even need anything to hold them up. Young vines need to be trained up a wire or a trellis. Mature vines just stand in their own strength. But even mature vines need pruning and training and cropping every year. And uh, that's true for us. That even as we get more mature, we need to keep on working on our maturity. And there are things that come our way that take maturity to withstand. We, we sang a song earlier about if suffering should come. Actually, we should change that lyric to when suffering comes, because suffering always does. There are things which come our way which take maturity to stand. And there's all kinds of crazy teaching out there, one of the perils of the internet, which can knock us off course. And there are crafty people who would knock us off course as well. And each part of the body, you, 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 has a part to play in helping the whole body to grow to maturity, that we, us, might be a mature church. Infants, babies are delightful, but the goal is maturity. And I think it's a great kind of litmus test question we can uh, ask ourselves. Well, uh, infant faith says, what is God's plan for my life? That's, kind of, that's, a, a, that's a teenager's question. What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do? What do I like? What job can I do? What should I study at school? What should I do with my life? That's a kind of a teenager's question. It's an appropriate question for teenagers to be asking. But you don't stay as a teenager. Mature faith asks, what is my role in the privilege of engaging in God's plan for the earth? God has a plan which he's called us to engage in. How do I get stuck into that plan more and more? That's a, a question we want to be asking at Gateway. How can we further engage with God's plan? And we answer that question as we are united. We answer that question as we are gifted. And we answer that question as we mature. We want to be a bigger body, a spiritual muscularity which carries us through and sees us being the people of God that we're called to be. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is for us to instruct us and teach us. Lord, I thank you for the way that you have kept and preserved us over this past year. I thank you that you have kept us from bitterness and division in this church. We don't take that for granted. I pray that we would keep responding to your grace to us, and we would keep working at being kind and patient and humble with one another. Lord, I thank you for the gifts there are in this body, and I pray that we'd see them operate as they should, that we might become more and more mature, that we'd be equipped for works of service. And yes, Lord, we do want to be engaged in your plan, in your purpose, in your mission. We want to be a bigger body, a mature people. I'd ask, ask that you'd work that into us. I pray that even this season, where we've experienced restriction and pruning. I pray that would be for greater fruitfulness, greater maturity in the days to come. In your name we ask it. Amen.